Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome in Rose City to Soccer Made in Portland. On this, the final week of the regular season for the Portland Timbers, and just finishing up the final week of the regular season for the Portland Thorns. Uh, two very different sort of situations to talk about there. Um, and Chris, just just your w- what's top of mind for you this morning as as we discuss uh, all the latest in PTFC. I had kind of a weird day yesterday. Just a, just a weird day. Strange, strange, but very fun ending to the day. Uh, so, you know, I, I had to, I did a, uh, are, are you familiar with the concept of a beer mile, Ryan? Where? Yes. Okay. Drink a beer, run a lap times four. That gets you to a beer mile. I did a, a, an old person's modified version of that. A, a beer, essentially six by 400 meter relay. Some friends of ours are getting married this weekend. This is sort of part of the pre-wedding festivities. And like, you know, I, 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 in my day, I've done a few laps around a track. I've done some racing on the roads and, and, and that kind of stuff. All, all ancient history at this point. But, you know, so I, I was, I was, I wouldn't say happy to jump back in this, but I was like, I will do this. The problem is, so our friends who are getting married, lovely people, delighted for them. Excited to, to do that on Saturday. Uh, we'll miss the Timbers game live because of it. We'll catch up so that I can talk about it on the podcast. Nonetheless, I digress. The, the groom is, is a professional 1500 meter runner primarily went to the world championships in Budapest a few months ago, went to the Olympics in Tokyo last year. Legit. Also German. If you see where I'm going, the, the, these are particularly difficult conditions in which to do some athletic event like this. Uh, A guy on my team was, I don't know, just like the Olympic silver medalist in Rio in the steeplechase. Um, and like all told, I mean, I, I was, I was thinking about this. I was like, this is, this is like, if you were to do like a little, like kick about with your friends and like in a beer league on Sunday and like crystal Dunn and like Otto Hederberg show up and you're like, well, now I'm meat. That's cool. <laughs> and, and that's, that's sort of what it was like. It was, it, it was nice. So yeah, weird day. That's pretty cool to, to. Yeah, bump shoulders with with folks like that, and that. Yeah, mostly get. Right I wouldn't say bump it, it, shoulders so much as like get absolutely crushed. Just, just. Yeah, crushed in both facets of the competition because he, you know, he's German, so you know the the beer drinking. And he did well. The, he did well. The athletic prowess are both both there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. So yeah, weird day. Uh, weird day. But get speaking of getting crushed, I think we can probably that's a nice segue into our next segment. 
Sure. Yeah. We, we could, we could maybe start with, you know, the, the getting crushed versus the great athletes, the great athlete, of course, we'll get to Christine Sinclair, uh, retiring from the, the Canada national team, staying with the thorns though, for one more year. Uh, but prior to that, we can discuss the most recent game for the thorns, which was absolutely brutal down in LA. It was five to one angel city. Uh, the thorns lost out on the shield as a result, of course, with San Diego winning two zero over Rossing Louisville, um, really tough day overall for the Thorns and a lot of soul searching for them to do over these next few weeks. They, of course, are hosting this semifinal playoff match uh, at Providence Park on November 5th. But um, things feel a lot more fraught in this scenario than they did last year, despite it essentially being the same situation, right? They lose out on the shield in the final game. There are some questions about why that happened but now feels like it's ev- on an even thinner tightrope than maybe they walked last season. And that was decidedly a much worse performance than they put in against Gotham a year prior. Um, one of the worst, if not the worst performance I have seen yeah, from this team no in doubt. the last two years. Um, and, and just confounding. And, and frankly, there are a lot of questions to be answered. Players sort of had, had a relatively clear idea about you know what went wrong. Um, Mike Norris didn't really know immediately. And I'm sure that, you know, he and his staff will review film, but you know, there, there weren't a lot of answers immediately. It was, it was sort of this shell shock from the thorns afterwards. And, um, there is this sort of dichotomy with the players where they want to use it to motivate themselves, but they also want to just throw it away and not let it linger. And that's a, that's a tough tightrope to walk heading into a semifinal matchup with either North Carolina or uh, I believe it's Gotham. Yes, Gotham is the sixth seed. So they, um, one of those two teams will be coming to Providence Park, both formidable, um, not a whole lot of room for error after one of the worst performances in a long time. But both of whom the Thorns have beaten at Providence Park relatively recently, uh, which should be a little bit of, uh, of confidence for them. Uh, yeah, this was, I mean, just, you know, get out your thesaurus for how you want to define how bad the performance was uh, in in Los Angeles, and it's it was shocking, but not I, I think, but not altogether surprising uh, to see it happen. Uh, you know, it was shocking because it was worse than anything we've seen to date, uh, and we are not used to seeing the Thorns get done to them what the Thorns have done to so many teams over the course of the last two or three years. But that's exactly what it was. This was this was a. a you know, to invoke coach prime, just a an old fashioned butt whooping. Right. Um, uh, and that's, that's just about it. And I say though, that it wasn't surprising altogether because that has kind of been the pattern with this team over the course of the last six weeks or so, probably reasonably since the world cup break of really just pretty, and not just inconsistency, but pretty extreme inconsistency. One game they come out against a tough uh, opponent and they look like the really sort of well-drilled, schooled team that looks poised to be the favorite in in the playoffs. And then the next game they come out and look like a team that doesn't belong in the playoffs at all. And that's, it's frankly hard to understand. And I don't think it's entirely something that you can sort out with X's and O's. Um, 
you know, with a tactical tweak here or there. I think there were tactical, bigger tactical issues earlier in the season that were pretty identifiable, but this doesn't really feel like that and doesn't look like that. There are certainly some personnel issues. Uh, the thorns have, have been exposed, I think pretty hard at both fullback positions over the course of the last six weeks or so, but that's not why that game went five, one. I mean, that, that was a, a factor in some of those, but five, one can't explain that with, you know, some underperformance at, at, at the fullback positions. And yeah, so I mean, frankly, I think with a group as experienced as the Thorns have, and with a group as talented as the Thorns are, I I think you've got to look at coaching, and you've got to look at at sort of the direction that the group group is going as a whole, and ask whether it's good enough. And that's weird to say. That's really weird to say, uh, given that the Thorns just finished. Second in the table, they secured for the third year in a row, if I'm remembering right, uh, a, uh, a a playoff buy and a home playoff game. Those you know those are good things. They obviously won the championship last year with Mike Norris was on that staff, uh, e- even if he wasn't in the top job, and with the roster that is virtually identical. Um, so. You know, I mean, the, when you look at this team's track record over the course of the last three years, it has been exemplary. But yet you sit here today, and even though they still were second in the table and, and have the bye, you kind of wonder about the direction that this club is going. Because the the ex, the extremeness of the inconsistency just isn't something you could ignore. And if you ignore it, it's going, it is very, very likely to end up in a situation like the Timbers, frankly, are in this year, where you have this underlying issue that is really apparent, that is really, that is there. And instead of addressing it head on, you sort of let it fester for a year and then until it's totally untenable. And so I think the thorns are kind of in a similar spot where there's an issue here. And I, I don't know if they're going to address it proactively or if they're going to sort of fall back on, well, we still finished second. What do you want from us? other than finishing first, of course. Uh, Or if they're going to be proactive about saying, hey, there's a problem. Because it's pretty clear that there's a problem. Uh, And I think think that problem, whatever it is, it's with a capital P, and it is really what was behind the 5-1. Yeah, like this is not for lack of talent. This is not for lack of necessarily buy-in. This isn't for lack of... I mean, it might be for lack of buy-in in some areas. I think is, you know, sure. I, I think, I think there, there are reasonable questions about that. Oh, um, but why is there that it's lack definitely of not for lack of commitment as yeah. well? And it's not yeah, for lack that, of that, character that in the, more, in the, in, in the, the locker phrase. room. Like there's plenty of character. There's plenty right. of competitiveness. There's plenty of talent. Why isn't that coming together? Yeah. And that's a major question that they need to answer. You know, you and I have both um, heaped a lot of praise on on this Thorns team over the last two years in in this forum, and and rightfully so. I th- I think that they are you know an incredibly talented and often inspirational group of athletes who last year achieved something that I think very few groups of athletes in any sport would have been able to achieve in winning a championship despite everything that was going on off the field for them. Um, you know that being said, you know the idea that we've talked about of a dynasty. 
of, of this team sort of being able to establish its greatness at an even more cemented level in NWSL than it previously has. Um, you know, th- that is a fraught thing. That is something that, you know, exists to, you know, use that phrase on a tightrope, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase like that, that doesn't just happen naturally. It, you aren't, you know, coronated into into greatness and and you know these players know that they are led by people you know veterans of the game like christine sinclair megan klingenberg becky sauerbrunn who are all keenly aware that you know winning is fickle it is rare and greatness is only achieved in very limited circumstances but these are the conditions under which like the the onus is on you to achieve that greatness and sam coffee I think was the best person to articulate that, uh, you know, after the game, she and Klingenberg were, were up at the podium and coffee, you know, being someone that, that has worn the captain's armband and should probably never lose it for the rest of the time that she's on the Portland thorns, given her ability to, to orate the, the team's problems and also its successes and lead that group. Um, she, she was able to, to say it plainly that, well, like you said, they some days are looking like a championship team and other days they're looking like they're at the bottom of the table. And in her words, that's unacceptable. And and if that is the attitude adopted by everybody on the team, then I think they'll be fine. And I think they'll be able to bounce back, win a home game, go down to San Diego and win another championship. That is a very realistic possibility. And then, you know, obviously you have to point to this season as a success, even if there is the sort of small insignificant to some asterisk of losing out on the shield again it's it's not insignificant to the players though that's yeah. the thing like they you know two years and two years in a row missing out on some silverware that you hang a banner for that's the same size and in the same location as your championship banners that's a that's a bfd to this group yeah and and there's a financial interest too right there's a big bonus that comes with uh with with, with getting the support uh, with getting the shield i almost called it the supporter shield my apologies um yeah fifteen thousand dollars per player yeah i mean and for a lot of those players that's not chump change oh um, and you know i think that's that that's significant and frankly I, I think from the fans perspective there are a lot of fans who regard the shield as being significant i'm certainly among them i think the shield is a major major trophy uh, i think it is it is up there i understand for you know the the cultural reasons the vibes uh the the championship trophy is is more valued but i don't see the shield as being significantly behind in terms of the significance of this what is it America, means. America, bro. Yeah, it's, uh, that, this that's is right. America. With rings, dude. That's right. It's all about the rings. Well, you know, <laughs> uh, the, it's all about, you need platters too. There's a, there, Meg Linehan was, was, was driving this on Twitter, and I think it's important. Uh, uh, the, the shield needs, needs a, a, an upgrade. Because right now, the shield basically looks like a charcuterie board. Oh, and like <laughs> NWSL can do better, better than that. So, but yeah, so even if the physical shield, kind yeah, of they stinks, upgraded the champ, they upgraded the championship trophy really did a nice and, job and the MVP trophy. Super cool. But yeah, the shield definitely is a serving platter so that I would agree with that sentiment. They definitely need to. Upgrade yeah. It. Uh, so it, it can, it can be physically improved, but in terms of, of what it represents, which is excellence over the course of the entire season with the balance schedule and, and, and all of that stuff. The shield's a BFD, uh, because there. I mean, you can you can explain away the championship trophy by saying that somebody got hot 
right? You can't explain away the shield that way. Like the shield is we were great over the course of six months. No questions asked. Uh, And that's why I think it's a very significant trophy. And it eats at me that the thorns have had two opportunities in the final round, final rounds uh, in two consecutive years and have blown it both times. Oh, and I, I, it, agree it was it was maybe more surprising that they lost it last year uh the way they lost it this year was was pretty shocking um in a game in which the thorns should have been fully stuck in they got run off the field by an angel city team that that wanted it more was more organized and was more decisive um and 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 that's that's not great. Why the Thorns weren't ready to to match that level of intensity and that level of preparation in a game that should have been there that they should have been laser focused on, I don't know. Uh and I think if you're Thorns management, I think if you're Thorns ownership, probably new ownership whenever that happens, uh you want to give that a a hard look. And you want to give the the issues that we've seen over the course of the last couple months with consistency a really hard look, because what you do to fix those things is going to go a long way toward determining whether the thorns are on sort of the precipice of a downfall uh, or whether this is another just, you know, just a, a disappointment that's a little bit of a blip, uh, but as part of a longer period of sustained success. Um, and so we'll see. Um, I look, I also think there's individual player responsibility here. Um, you know, uh, Megan Klingenberg has been a remarkable thorn for a long time. She's had a rough several weeks. Uh, Natalia Quiga uh, has, I think, really acquitted herself well over a lot of her, her time with the team. Another player who has commanded quite a bit of respect, um, has had a rough several weeks. Frankly, Crystal Dunn, since coming back from the World Cup, uh, has not been the superlative player that she was before. Uh, I I think you can go down Morgan Weaver after being absolutely dominant, putting the team on her back at times during the World Cup period, and even a little bit afterward, after Sophia Smith, has sort of gotten lost in the last few weeks. And that might not be entirely attributable to her as opposed to sort of the team as a whole. But for a player who was starting to garner some MVP discussion, the the last couple of weeks didn't show that, didn't reflect that. And I think you can go down on a number of levels and 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 identify some of those things. But at some point when you start listing this many names, you kind of need to stop just listing names and start talking about systems and structures uh, and and leadership. And it's certainly not player leadership, right? This team oozes with player leadership, oozes with it, overflowing with player leadership. Frankly, there's probably more leadership on this team than there's been on any first division soccer team in U.S. history, like multiple national, multiple national team captains on one team and multiple people who would be national team captains if it weren't for the other national team captains on the team. Like, I I mean, you know, the, the leadership on this team is, is ridiculous. And yet this is happening. And and I'm at a loss to explain it. Totally at a loss. You are not the only one. 
at this point that is that seems to be at a loss with this. And you know, this is a defining couple weeks ahead. And I I I think that you know somebody like Mike Norris who is in this position and and despite being a first year coach is is uniquely in a warmer seat I think than he might otherwise be given the state of the club. Um, I think he's aware of that now. You know whether you know he and and the staff can can sort of put the pieces together and you know get this group rallied and and figure out the tactical decisions necessary to to bring them to glory again. Um, you know that that is remaining to be seen. One at this point, one, we, one we have way not seen one way to turn that yeah, seat ice cold. Go win a championship. Yeah, yeah, seats ice cold regardless of the ownership change. Um, you know, even in, there are scenarios where, you know, they win the championship and, you know, maybe Mike himself decides, you know, this whole head coaching thing, you know, might not be for me. I'd like to go do something else. That's, that's all his prerogative, but he'd like to think that, you know, if they win it, you know, he'd like to be back and and continue that run and, you know, build his profile as a coach in addition to, you know, being around a group of people that he really loves. He, He loves this group of Thorns players and, you know, being around the team, he has a really strong relationship with a lot of them. Um, you know, plenty of them have had questions for him and made suggestions to him throughout the season in the way of tactical changes and adjustments to what they do um, to varying levels of success. That's a natural piece of having that level of veteran leadership that they do. Um, but why wouldn't you tap into that brain trust? Yeah, yeah, especially as a first year coach with no previous head coaching experience, like. You know, get Christine Sinclair to to bend your ear. Yeah. You know, Becky Sauer, Crystal Dunn. Kramer, I mean, these, these are all brilliant yeah, Crystal, soccer players yeah. who know a lot about the game. Why wouldn't you uh, tap into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, that's not to say that the there has not been you know significant strides made by individuals and by the team throughout the course of this season. I, I think that you know, Sam Coffey was a revelation last year, and she has sort of defined herself now as an unquestioned MVP candidate alongside Sophia Smith, who is an unquestioned MVP candidate and probably more likely between the two to win the award and repeat as the award winner. Those are those are two best 11 players that are, are if you can lock up their contracts, hmm. going to be part of your future for the years to come. And that that's a that's a big deal. And gotta, they're gotta going sort to, out to that carry if. on that legacy. Gotta sort out that's that a big if. if. And, and the if is made easier when you win, right? You know, winning teams don't typically break up. They they do in sports, but they don't nearly as often as teams who don't meet expectations or for whom there are individuals that see that grass is greener on the other side. Sometimes there's tur- turf on one side of the <laughs> yeah, well. and grass on the other, but that's another discussion entirely. Yeah, I think you're right that it is it is less common for winning teams to break up than than losing teams, of course. Uh and significantly less common. I I and I think that's probably the case here. I think, you know, we've discussed it on this podcast before, but there are also other issues at play here that need to be figured out in order to have the circumstances in which even a winning team is going to stick together. And that, I mean, it's all the stuff we've talked about. It's it's the ownership changes. It's the training facility. It's all of those things are going to be critical to these decisions. But yeah, if the team goes into the tank, even if you do all of those other things right, it might be hard to keep even the younger pieces of the core around. And so, you know, winning is critical. But, you know, I, but, I mean, what we saw last weekend, uh, I think, was was pretty gutting uh, and is the kind of thing that that raises reasonable questions in people's minds 
uh, about you know whether this team has the capacity to go get two big wins, two difficult wins in a row uh, against the best teams in the league. And you know we haven't seen them string together two great performances in a row recently, and that's what it's going to take. Who would have thought that at this stage in the season we'd be talking about the inconsistency of the Portland Thorns? juxtaposed with largely the consistency yeah except for that montreal game <laughs> of the of the portland Timbers. recent experience I mean, excluded God. yeah yeah i mean it, it's fair i mean this has caught me totally by surprise i you know if you would have asked me eight weeks ago if i thought if i thought it was a reasonable possibility that the thorns would get everybody back from the world cup and then go on this the, the this this run in which they have bounced sort of between champs you know championship caliber play and and wooden spoon caliber play, I would have told you, no, there's no chance. That's ridiculous. I mean, look at, look at the players they have, look at the, 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 the system they have, everything uh, sort of lends itself to the kind of stability that would seemingly exclude this kind of possibility. And yet here we are. Here we are. Biggest news, obviously, other, other than that end of season match for, for the thorns uh, for over the last few days was, was an Instagram video posted by Christine Sinclair uh, in the in the dead of 6 p.m. Thursday night, uh, I come fresh out of Cinema 21, having watched Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, one of the great Martin Scorsese pictures. Re- 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 I've read the book. The, the The movie's good. Oh, the movie's phenomenal. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. One of Marty's best. Right. Great. But but besides Marty's greatness, Christine Sinclair in her field, obviously one of the greatest, and the all time leading international goal scorer is retiring from the Canada national team. She's sticking around though, Portland fans for one more year with the Thorns. Thankfully clarified. Which, yeah, which was clarified this morning. Not a hundred percent clear last night. Everybody was kind of freaking out, which is rightfully so. Yeah, it went from like completely um, ambiguous last night to like slightly ambiguous. And now finally this morning we have the clear picture. Yes. She spoke with, with various media outlets and said that she's back for one year with the Thorns. Uh, She'll be 41 in that year. Uh, so a testament to her longevity, obviously to continue to play at that level. It's something that she's talked about before the idea of retiring from the national team first, and then doing like a full club year where she doesn't have to sort of go back and forth. She can just play for the club and hang around and be that presence that she's always been for the thorns. Um, unquestioned first inductee into the thorns ring of honor, Christine Sinclair, like probably the second she retires, they'll, rip the cover off of the of the area where yeah. her name go, go get would, the would go occupy. get the painters out now like yeah give them a call yeah absolutely um and and so yeah that's that's a big moment obviously in the history of international soccer that the person who scored more goals than anybody is stepping away that's a you know an, an international news story yeah without question no question i mean Look, the people who listen to this podcast need need no summary of Christine Sinclair's career from from the collegiate level all the way on up to today. One of the greatest to ever play the game. Period. One of the greatest humans to ever play soccer. That's it. That's Christine Sinclair's career. I mean, there are more details, but you can read about him somewhere else. One of the greatest humans to ever play soccer. Gold medalist. 300 plus caps with Canada, all, all the goals. It's just like a bajillion goals. The most by a pretty significant margin yeah. on the international stage. Uh, you know, three championships with the Thorns, a ton of success at the club level, 
um, a different type of star too. And, and some, and really an intriguing figure in sports history. If you think about her, you know, she, she has the greatness of, of these all time athletes. You think about like the, the Jordans, the Messies, the, you know, the Candace Parkers, the, the different players across their sports that have had this sort of generational impact, but she, you know, shied away from the spotlight. She, avoided attention wherever possible you know her book that she wrote was a shock to a lot of people that knew her that she would go out and write a book and it was really compelling and an interesting story of somebody that you know was a witness to the evolution of women's sports in this country and her country of Canada and was a big part of of that evolution um in in tangibly different ways than you think about others in her sport rivals that include Megan Rapino and others. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting career to look back on and one that I think people will talk about for, for a long time as the, you know, as the sport continues to grow. Sink has allowed her play to do the talking throughout her entire career. And, and she is, that's just been it. She's just allowed her play to do the talking. And when she finishes playing for Canada uh, at the end of this year, and when she finishes playing altogether, seemingly at the end of next year uh, being the plan, there will be no questions. It will it will just be perfect. Done. It set her place at everything that it needed to say. Uh and and you know, I, I I think the level of respect that she commands within the locker room and within the organization is another thing that 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 it almost goes un, unexpressed because it doesn't need to be expressed. Like it is just there. Sink is just sink, and 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 she's sort of just been the axis around which Canada has has revolved uh, for the last couple decades, and frankly, the Thorns have revolved for the last decade, and that does all the talking. That's why she's one of the greatest humans to ever play the game, undoubtedly. And you know, you look to the future too. Somebody like that had a monumental and continues to have a monumental impact on the young players who will comprise the Portland Thorns for the years to come. You, th- you look at a player like Morgan Weaver, you know, a Seattle kid who um, comes down here out of Washington state, um, high expectations, talented player drafted in the same year as Sophia Smith, just, you know, a world beater of a draft by Mark Parsons. We can, we can talk all we want about that. Um, but, you know, she, comes down here and starts saying F Seattle and starts pointing to the logo on her chest and having just this unfettered pride for being not only a Portland thorn, but living in the city of Portland and just endearing herself to her fans. That does not happen without Christine Sinclair. It was sort of like a, you know, a boot camp when, when weaves arrived here that, you know, she learned um, immediately from sync that, you know, you work hard and you know, F Seattle, like that was, that was like the two things that she was told. Uh, and there are others who have sort of taken those type of, you know, team culture type lessons to heart, just that grit and competitiveness. Um, you know, Sophia Smith, obviously being another young star, she's probably taken a ton away from playing with somebody like sync. Um, and, and there are little girls and now, you know, full grown adults and boys playing, frankly, in, hopefully there boys, are boys watching yeah. too, because they could learn a lot from somebody like Christine Sinclair. Yeah, exactly. You know, on, on 
both sides in in many leagues in this country and around the world who can look to to her as an example of of that sort of relentless competitive drive that you know has allowed her to succeed in this way she she didn't come out there you know as the fastest and most skilled or anything by by any stretch of the imagination you don't look at her and and you know she doesn't make these jaw dropping marta style plays she isn't sophia smith running 100 miles an hour down the center of the field and crushing your dreams even in her heyday it was just this tactical like competitive gritty way about things and just a dedication to a craft that you know whether you're in sports or not you can take a lot away from that and the trophy case is absolutely bursting at the seams with with individual and team accolades any questions none there it is so congrats congrats to sink on a great career with canada one more year with the thorns coming up gotta imagine that it it'll be some form of victory tour but she probably isn't gonna want uh, a whole lot in the way of you know flowers and confetti uh raining down on her even though that's obviously something that she deserves after her career um the portland timbers for lack of any sort of clean transition are playing tomorrow. We're recording on Friday here playing tomorrow, Saturday at Providence park against the Houston dynamo final game of the season for the Timbers. A win secures them the number seven seed in the MLS cup playoffs, Uh, a tie or a loss makes things a little more complicated. There's like 75 different scenarios you can, Check out all of them if you're a real sicko on OregonLive.com. But uh, but their mindset going into this game against a team that beat them 5-0 and was sort of the game that shifted the season on its axis, uh, their mindset for this game is just go win because that allows you to avoid the new play-in game, which they all have said nobody wants to be in because a one-off game is a whole heck of a lot worse to set yourself up with than a three-game series you know, regardless of your opponent and LAFC and Seattle are two, you know, potentially tough opponents. And those are the two options if you end up in that seven spot, but they'd rather be there than, you know, heading out on the road to Kansas city or Minnesota or even hosting one of those teams or hosting an FC Dallas midweek like that, that midweek too. Yeah. Mid midweek. Before then having to go on the road on the weekend for the first, uh, even if you win it, go having to go on the road for the first game, uh, of the, uh, of the first round, uh, you know, on, on the weekend. So there are lots of reasons why teams should want to avoid the plan. Whether teams will still declare victory after qualifying for the plan is another question, but you shouldn't want to be there. Yeah, no, that's the that's the last place you want to be. Other well, the last place you want to be is out, but the second to yeah. last place you want to be is in the plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, so that's their mindset. Um, it's a question as to whether they're going to be able to achieve that. Obviously, Houston just you know boat raced them last time these two teams played. It's basically the same team. It's a little more healthy and it's a lot more you know together and in better form and and with a, a renewed mindset under Miles Joseph. Um, but that, that Toronto or excuse me, that Montreal game, uh, would never mix up my Canadian cities. Uh, that was brutal. That was like, that was as bad as, as the, the thorns loss in angel city in terms of, if not slightly less brutal than that one, but you know, we're not the state, the stakes made it less brutal. The performance is on a similar plane, pretty similar plane and, and against a worse team Yeah, too. And, and that's, 
a reason to pause and to be like, oh, are they going to do it? Like, is it going to be okay? Are they going to be able to avoid a loss? And then, you know, if they lose and a few other things happen, which are very realistic things, as you and I talked about off air, uh, they're they're out again. And it would be deja vu for the Timbers in the same year as deja vu for the Thorns, which would be a little freak. Well, and look, you know, Houston, the, the, the Timbers just absolutely made a mess of transitional moments against Montreal. Uh, Houston is a team that's very good in transition. Very, very good in transition. And they've been, you know, the Dynamo have in the past relied on that largely. <laughs> they couldn't really play any other way, and they were often pretty one-dimensional in the term, in terms of the way they played. This Houston team that we've seen over the course of the second half of the MLS season has been much more nuanced than that. And frankly, they've been maybe the most fun team to watch in the league over the course of the last three or so months. Uh, Coco Carasquilla, the Panamanian international, largely central midfielder, uh, has been phenomenal. Ache Ache, who they brought in last year at the uh, in the summer transfer window, uh, to some, you know, some some raspberries from the crowd uh, after what was a, uh, a a poor sort of initial uh, showing from Achayashi's time with the Dynamo. He's been amazing. He's been phenomenal for them this year and has been been a central midfield rock for Houston that's really sort of elevated them as a team. And then because of that, they're getting greater contributions from across the field. A guy like Corey Baird, who kind of bounced around a few teams, RSL, LAFC, landed in Houston this year, uh, has come alive because of the structure around him. Um, and so this has been a really, really good Houston team. There's a reason they went to Messi's Inter Miami in the U.S. Open Cup final and absolutely dunked on them. Just absolutely dunked on uh, on the Flamingos uh, in uh, in in Fort Lauderdale. And so you know, I I think this is a really dangerous Houston team uh, coming to Providence Park. I think the Timbers are in a much are just from a personal perspective in a much better position. Uh, than they were in that game uh, against Montreal. Uh, Christian Paredes looks like he's going to be back. Uh, Zach McGraw's fully back healthy. Uh, it looks like the Timbers are going to have basically everybody available to them, uh, save for the guys who are out for the season. And and look, when we've seen the Timbers fully healthy like that and at home, they've generally been pretty good. But this is also a better team than we've seen the Timbers be pretty good against. And so I think they have they've got a lot of work to do. Candidly, I think the Timbers are going to do it. Uh, that is that is my prediction. Uh, I think they'll do it, uh, and I think they'll get the the win. But look, Houston is is motivated too. If Houston wins, they lock down a top four seed and they lock down home field in in the first round. That's really significant, and so they're going to be fully into it. There's a question about whether Kadaski is going to play. He came out of his his game with Panama uh, on uh, in the international break with a little bit of a knock. It sounds like so. It sounds like he's day to day questionable, maybe for the game. Uh, that would be a huge development, frankly, if he's not able to play, uh, because he's he's been a best eleven or at least second best eleven quality player over the course of the last several months, and it sounds like he's not long for Houston. Uh, will be moving on to Europe uh, almost certainly in the winter. So if he's not able to play that, that that would be significant. But uh, I think this personnel for the Timbers has looked pretty good, and I expect a good performance on the weekend. But if they don't. Then it gets real hairy. Yeah, they can still 
weirdly get the seven seed if they draw. Not possible if they lose. Um, at least to my understanding. Actually, referring to the handy dandy notebook that I wrote for myself. I mean, it is theoretically Rams. possible, it's, right? It's possible if they lose. And Dallas loses, and San, lose, Jose, and San loses. Jose loses, and SKC and Minnesota draw. Then they would basically post hoc or, 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 or you know status quo antebellum. Everybody stays where they are. Everybody backs into the into their respective positions. Oh, um, but look, I mean, it, it would take it would take a number of results uh, for the Timbers not to make the playoffs to not go their way. But when you look at the the results that would be required, they're like not that far fetched. Kansas City and Minnesota, one of those teams would have to would have to win, right? Because they're both on on 41 points, the Timbers are on 43. They play each other. So, one of those teams is probably going to win. Unless they draw, one of those teams is going to win. Uh Dallas would would have to get a result better than the Timbers. So they would need to win or draw. They're at LA Galaxy who have nothing to play for. Dallas has been kind of bad recently they just dropped points to the colorado rapids at home for goodness sake not (laughs) not good don't do that um but still in a game in which one team has nothing to play for is already eliminated it's certainly not out of the question and in fact i think it's probably fair to say that it is comfortably within the question that dallas can go get a result at l.a and then, likewise, San Jose. Again, not a team that's been lighting things on fire, but at home against Austin, a team that, again, has nothing to play for. And so if the Timbers drop points against Houston and then those other three results just don't go the Timbers' way, which is all totally possible, this could be a fourth consecutive, counting the Timbers and Thorns, devastating decision day. Uh. Because remember, it wasn't just the Thorns who who dropped Decision Day last year. It was also the Timbers who went to Salt Lake on Decision Day needing a result, any result, to get into the playoffs. And they got crushed. Absolutely pumped by RSL. And so, like, that's, I mean, that, that's a real possibility. I wouldn't say it's a likelihood. But if the Timbers don't take care of business, then they have nobody to blame but themselves. Yeah, and that that's why the onus is so much on just just get a win and don't worry about the other stuff because so much is out of your control. Um, that's a good philosophy for life in general that so much is out of your control. But you know, in sports in particular, the MLS in what has been one of the most woefully incompetent Western conferences in recent memory, very much is out of your control, and very little is predictable in the case of this season and you got to control what you can control, right? The Timbers have it much worse than those other three teams that you just mentioned, right? Or four teams. They have a a much more difficult decision day game than those other teams. Yeah, because, you know, a win for either of those teams, SKC and Minnesota, is more likely than them ending up in a draw. Just one of them winning, it's like two-thirds chance versus one-third of a draw, just statistically. And those two very winnable games, like that's that is just not that is not out of the realm of possibility at all. In fact, one might say it's more likely than not, as as you you know clearly pointed out. It's 
once again, you're walking on a tightrope in American soccer and you find yourself in, in one of these positions. Well, and, and in and particular, the, the Timbers the players have put on the team on the tightrope. Yeah, they have. I mean, they, you know, they, they were like in the Canyon below where the tightrope is hanging for oh, the better part of like two thirds of this season. And then they woke up when miles Joseph took over. So they put themselves in this position by playing absolutely terrible for a for pretty significant stretch and dropping points in a ton of games all year long that made you think, well, that's it. That's going to be the difference, right? It could still end up being the difference. All of that, you know, turnaround and all of that improved play and, and the, the hopium that folks have been breathing in, um, since, since miles took over, um, it, it will be for not essentially it, it, it can have positive impacts for individuals to be sure in the off season. Like, you know, there's guys that have been playing for their jobs that might, you know, because of their improved play in this stretch, stick around longer than, yeah. than they may previously have. There are certain to be a lot of changes to this Timbers roster in the off season to my understanding, but um, what those changes look like, can in some ways depend on how this game goes and, and how the remainder of the postseason goes, because this is a team that regardless is going to be in transition, but you know, who's going to be part of the future. Who's going to, who's going to make that transition. And let's be very clear, no matter what happens on, on Saturday, if it goes South, it's not because the Timbers lost it on Saturday. It's because the Timbers once again, absolutely blew it between March and July, just totally blew it in between March and July. And they dug themselves a hole once again, that would have been too deep for them to dig out of, uh, you know, if the Timbers frankly get into the postseason uh, on, on Saturday, I think it'll be an example of them pulling a bit of a Houdini act. And given it's a Houdini act that's been aided and embedded by a just, as you referenced, utterly incompetent Western Conference uh, and a whole bunch of teams of a, a very forgiving format and then a whole bunch of teams around them who are just not very good. And they the the, the Timbers will have sort of elevated them themselves to being, you know, the most successful of a collection of not very good teams. Oh, yeah, you want to you want to know how incompetent the Western Conference is? How incompetent has the Western Conference been, right? There are people and I'm not going to name names around the Timbers who when they think about the playoff matchups, this this is just thinking ahead. Who scares of Nobody. They 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 are preferring some people are talking about potentially preferring the top seed St. Louis because that the, because they're number one. Don't do and that. They're an expansion team. Dumb, dumb. Don't do that. No, you don't want to play in the plan. It's terrible because yeah. then you have to play the three games in a week. And look, I mean, the three leg series is is somewhat forgiving, but if you go to St. Louis and lose that first game, you're probably done. Yeah. Right. I mean, like you're you're in a really bad spot. Uh, even though you get full rest for those next two games you're not in a good position. And, yeah. And th- that's not to say that's the team's preferred matchup. Obviously everybody around the team wants with a win to get LAFC or Seattle, especially Seattle. That's the, that's the juiciest one for obvious reasons. And they're not very good, but, but yeah, and, and they're not a very good <laughs> I mean, team. That's a, that, nobody, th- that's the point. Nobody is good. Yeah. 
except for this the is, teams that are in the Eastern Conference. This is the, the JV playoffs. The real playoffs are in the yeah. East. Yeah, the, the JV teams get to sort of decide who gets to to play the varsity team in the final and probably lose. Probably lose. So, so yeah. That, that's the West, baby. That's the West. Uh, hey. But, but that, that'll make for some fun, too. One, so, one, anyway. one quick shout out to the dunce, the doofus of the week, Ben Olsen, the head coach of the Houston Dynamo, who, when asked about the last time the Timbers visited Houston, said... He was like, well, it was 116 degrees that day. It's never been 116 degrees in Portland. Ben, it's like you didn't even bother to look up Portland's all-time high temperature before you started running your mouth. Why don't you look up the facts before you start talking? I, if I was Miles Joseph, that goes on the bulletin board. This dude doesn't even know. He doesn't even know that climate change is doesn't even know our, our state every summer, and it's getting worse. Look it up, Ben. Yeah, come on, Ben. It's bulletin board material right there. <laughs> disrespect. <laughs> disrespect for the climate disaster here in the Northwest. Yes, and how it's affecting our absolutely beautiful ecosystem that has otherwise not been. That's right. Everything died. Basically, by. everything died when that happened. It was not great. Yes. But it, it still happened, deep. Benny. Yeah. yeah. Give, give him credit, Ben. Get your facts right. So I, I think we'll end it on that weather made in Portland segment or rant or whatever you want to call it. Um, but you can follow us on Twitter at soccer made in PDX. Will you go to Ben Olson's post game press conference and ask him about that? Absolutely not. I'm the timber speed writer. <laughs> I have so many more important right, things. Then to you do need, to, recru- so many you need to recruit somebody in the press box to go to Olson's post game press conference and, and, and like put him to the coals about that. Yeah, like, hey, did you know that it's actually been pretty hot here? That's right. Like, I, what would his response be? Ryan, he even would be like, oh, okay. I ask for <laughs> very little. Please. You can do it. Please. No, just get, I'm, just get I'm, a, I'm just get a one I, game. I got, I got to be at the wedding with the Olympians. So, you that's, know. That's true. You enjoy yourself then. And I'll, I'll let you know if anybody hears anything or if he issues a, a long written apology on the matter because it's so clearly important. It would be warranted. Um, it would be. Soccer main PDX at Chris Reifer at Ryan T Clark on Twitter. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts, like us, subscribe to us next week. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but we'll, we'll be back to talk whatever the road ahead is for the Timbers. And then to look ahead, obviously to that semifinal match for the thorns at a later date. Uh, thorns have been off this week. They'll be back next week is my understanding. Uh, and then the, uh, the international break, of course, complicates everything. So, We'll have our eye on all of it as this season winds down. But thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week.